You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. All right, good stuff. Let's uh, get into our text this morning. We are in, uh, like I said, Romans 8. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 25. If you want to look to the Word of God with me, and God's Word says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer for our time together around the scriptures. Father, we do love you and we are thankful for your grace and your mercy that you have showered and blessed us with through your son Jesus. And we pray in his name this morning, God, as we gather around your word, uh, Lord, as we see uh, the promise of your glory in your second coming and our glorification, Lord, but also the renewal of the creation. And so, God, we pray this morning as many of us journey through a path of grief and suffering and pain, Lord, that we can look forward uh, to that glorious day when you will return and make all things new. God, may we be encouraged by this message this morning. And we pray these things in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen. All right. And in 2015, uh, I was blessed with a family vacation to Maui, Hawaii, which sounds absolutely amazing on a day like this, right? <laughs> my my mother-in-law surprised the family, all the family, uh, with a trip, uh, with this trip to Maui as a, as a Christmas gift. And we left later in the year in July landed in paradise after about a six-hour flight from Southern California. And one of our must-do activities was to spend a day on the famous Road to Hana. Have you guys heard of the Road to Hana before? Hana is an incredibly beautiful and tropical place. It's one of the most beautiful places on the face of the planet. And it receives massive amounts of rain in a small amount of time. And then the sun will break through, the clouds will break, the sun will break through and make the the landscape absolutely glow and pop with color. Uh, The road to the attractions, though, is less than appealing. It's a tough road. It's windy. It goes through the rainforest. Uh, If if you've driven down 44 after the recent snow and the rain, you'll know that it's marked with a lot of what? Potholes, right? Okay, the, the road to Hana is exactly like that. Uh, it's, like I said, many twists and turns, potholes, blind corners. The road's so narrow when you come to these blind corners, you got to kind of honk the horn to make sure there's no one coming in the opposite direction. Uh, the locals in that area don't really afford you that same courtesy, though. They just kind of speed through there. 
there's attractions along the way, kind of what I would say signpost of, of paradise and going out to Hana. There's waterfalls and just beautiful, lush landscape. And uh, parking at these attractions can be interesting, especially on this narrow road. People all wanting to see these beautiful waterfalls, forcing you to become creative and kind of slop through the mud to get to where you're going. The pinnacle of the trip, at least for me, uh, on this, this long, windy, and sometimes treacherous road was uh, called Black Sand Beach. I don't know if you've heard of Black Sand Beach. Uh, and the sand actually isn't like the granules of sand that you would find you know, on the Atlantic coast or maybe the Gulf Coast or the Pacific Coast. It's actually small little black pebbles that have been just kind of rushed back and forth with the water over and over and over again, and it smooths them out. So not the kind of sand that you would think of from our, from our beaches here. And so it's just an absolutely beautiful place. Uh, the long road, the long tough trip is worth it through the rainforest. It's, it's just glorious. And this, this, these black sand, these black small rocks crash when you arrive at that beach. It crashes into the sea, this brilliant blue and, and green ocean uh, with the tropical plants kind of border around this, this black sand, these green plants just popping out with, with color. It's really a sensory sensation, like all of your senses are kind of popping when you come up there. The smell of the salty ocean air, the sound of the, of the violent, majestic ocean waves crashing into the lava formation and, and blowing water up into the sky, the scent of the plants blooming with gorgeous color. And if you lay back on the rock as the, as the water rushes up over the rock and back down, you act, it's almost like an electrical sensation through your body. You can feel the, the warm water moving over the, the rocks and you can, like the sound of those rocks moving around together, you can kind of feel it through your spine. It's really uh, amazing, amazing and had a huge impact on me. I love that place. I'd love to get back there at some point. Don't know if that's going to happen, uh, but I would love to visit again. It's a beautiful place, right? A long, treacherous road to a beautiful place. It's glorious. I want to say our lives mimic this path to glory, right? A tough road before us with small signposts along the way to point us to glory with suffering and grief during the journey, right? A treacherous road ahead. And as the title of my sermon says, it is worth it, right? It's worth it so that we can get to that destination. The main idea is this. Our main idea is the road to glory is paved with suffering. The road to glory is paved with suffering. This passage actually hinges back into verse 17. I don't have it in your notes. What Paul is doing here is he's preparing us for kind of the bumpy road for the rest of this section of Romans chapter 8. It leads us to quite a few glorious truths that we'll find that we can hang on to in the midst of our earthly lives. Verse 17 begins with this, and then we'll go into verse 18. It says, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Remember last week we talked about the inheritance that we have in Jesus. And then Paul goes on, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, this is an important word, glorified with him. Now into verse 18, which brings us into our passage this morning. He says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's good news, right? Thank God that really this life that we're living is, is I've said this in the past, it's going to be the closest to hell that we're ever going to get. This is the, the worst it's ever going to get for a Christian. Glory awaits in the future and ultimately in what we would call the new creation, 
right? A, a, what we have promised is a reversal of every tear that has been shed, every heartbreak, every grief-filled guttural cry that you've had when you've heard about the death of a loved one. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are currently in, in grief or despair or suffering, I believe this passage will be of great encouragement to you. If you're not currently in, in, in grief or pain or suffering, hold on, it's probably coming soon, and bank this message into the back of your mind. Hold fast to Jesus and hold fast to this section of Scripture when you come across those times of grief and suffering and pain so that you can be encouraged to look forward to our glorification. The, the, the remainder of our passage today will take us through the twists and turns of our own glory road. The passage stands as, as an encouragement to, to acknowledge our present reality and struggle and press on toward the prize that is our glorification in Christ Jesus. We may ask, what, what is glorification? Glorification is this. Glorification is that final state that we will find ourselves upon the return of Christ. This is what will happen. Our sin nature will be removed, and we will live in perfection with Jesus, given a new resurrected body to enjoy a new heavens and new earth. It really is the final promise of salvation and the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's work on our behalf. We could put it this way, that we will be like him, that we will be like Jesus but in the present fallen world, we, we live looking forward to this promise. First uh, Peter gives us some insight. First Peter 4, 12 to 13. He says this, Beloved, right, friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, right? Expect it. Expect grief and suffering and pain. Don't be caught off guard by it. He says this, but rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, right? You're, you're being like Jesus. You're walking a road of suffering and pain that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It brings us to our first point. Our first point is this, is that fallen creation longs for restoration. So first we're going to look at, at the created order. Paul's talking about the world, right? The earth that we live in. Fallen creation longs for restoration. And here in this, in this opening section, Paul personifies creation, right? He gives it kind of human qualities so we can understand what's going on. He personifies it in this way, that it's longing to be released from the curse of sin imparted by God upon creation as the due and just penalty for this, for man's willful disobedience to God's commands. The creation was, was set forth in perfection, right? By God's design, God brought it about from nothing through his spoken word. And when the Lord gazed upon all that he had made in the beginning, he declared these words. He said, this is very good. The creation is very good. But then sin entered into creation through this, through the deception of Satan and the trust of Adam and Eve in his lies over and above the provision, presence, and blessing of their creator God. And so now we're dealing with the results of that. The results are this in verses 19 to 22. For the creation now waits with eager longing. I want you to mark that phrase right there. Okay, remember that one. Put that in the bank for later. With eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the, for the creation was subjected to futility, we could say the curse, right? The curse of sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. A few notes here. Paul, Paul is highlighting the importance of the completion of this, of God's inaugurated, his begun, right, beginning redemptive work in creation, looking forward to this, Christ's second coming, which we would call glorification. And the Christian's role in this present time to be a, a signpost, in a sense, to that future glory. Think, thinking of the road to Hana. But before we arrived at the Black Sand Beach, the road was difficult, but there were signposts of glory, right? There were waterfalls along the way. There were beautiful markers. There were tourist attractions that kept us going toward the prize that awaited. Paul personifies creation in, in this way. He, he, he likens it to childbirth. Okay, right at the, at the end of this section here, he said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, until now. Childbirth is this. Child, childbirth is, is both a terrible and beautiful thing all wrapped up into one. It's a terrible and beautiful thing all wrapped up into one. The couple eagerly awaits the miracle of life, but the pathway to life is marked with a woman's agony as her body contracts and tears to make way for life. As the woman cries out in, in pain and agony, the knowledge of getting to see her baby for the first time keeps her going, right? It sustains her. The husband anxiously and helplessly awaits the arrival of the beautiful child. The cries of the mother finally give way to the cries of the baby entering the world. Paul likens the creation longing for glory in this way. Moreover, at the beginning of the passage, he says, Creation waits with eager longing, right? I told you, remember that phrase, eager longing. The word is equivalent to this, what Paul's getting at. He's saying it's like standing on your tippy toes so you can see what's going on way in the distance. That's what the creation is doing. It's longing, it's standing on its toes, just trying to catch a glimpse of what's coming, the glory that is coming. The word reminds me of when my, my little Haley, my daughter, came to meet our son Jordan for the first time. She came into the room. She was a, a little toddler at the time, Karen holding Jordan, a baby in her arms, and, and Haley eager to see her little brother for the first time. She stood what? As she came to the bedside, she stood on her tippy toes so that she could see Jordan to catch a glimpse of him for the first time. She too had waited in eager longing and expectation to see what this bump in, in mama's belly would look like. And the moment had finally arrived. And that's all she wanted was a glimpse and, and an embrace, right? Peeking over the bedside to see her brother, this beautiful baby that has now come into the world. The creation looks forward to its glory just like that. The creation looks forward to a day like the one Isaiah prophesies of in Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verses 2 to 4. The scripture says this, it shall come to pass in the latter days that, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted above the hills 
and this is beautiful, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations. This is, this is good here. And shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. I can't wait. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, right? I'm tired of turning on the TV and seeing more war, more death and destruction. There will be a day, church, where the earthquakes cease, where the, the damaging tornado winds calm, the treacherous onslaught of, of cyclonic activity will no longer rain buckets down of, of water releasing boulders on the villages below. There will be a day when, when God's children eat a plenty and no longer fear starvation. There will be a day when nation will no longer battle nation when they will take their weapons of destruction and repurpose them into weapons of creation and cultivation. The creation waits in eager longing for this day, for the last day that the, the sand and the dirt will absorb the blood of our sin. I look forward to that day when the Lord will establish his kingdom fully, completely in glory. What do we do in the meantime? Number two, we cherish the foretaste of glory that we have in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We cherish the taste that God has given us in himself, in the person of the Spirit. One of the great truths that we embrace is that the Lord's Spirit does indeed live in us who are in Christ. We do not have to wait until glorification to have a, a taste or a sip of his glory we have a measure in the present. We are comforted by the, by the fact that when we believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, he gives us the, the presence of his spirit to live in us. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, right? Not only the creation is, is longing towards new creation, towards redemption, towards, towards glory, but we ourselves who have, notice, the first fruits of what? The spirit. The Spirit of God. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, right? The full realization of salvation in our life. Paul says this, the redemption of our bodies. We will get a new body. This is the, the tension of the present age. Re redemption has been brought to us through the work of Jesus Right? We know in Jesus that God has dealt with sin, that at the cross, the death blow was given to Satan, but sin still exists in creation, in our flesh, and Satan still prowls around like a wounded animal looking for just, just a few more to deceive, a few more to draw in. We too, we groan inwardly, just like the, the creation personified by Paul. We know that there's, there's more to life than this, right? You ever said that? There's got to be more to life than just this. We eagerly await the completion of God's plan. We have to remember, though, in this present time, 
We're not left longing just for the future. We have a taste of glory in us through God's Holy Spirit. And I I believe this is magnified. We heard it in that last song that we sang when God's people gather together and we lift up our voices and that the Spirit of God is magnified in this place when God's people come together. Gathering to worship Jesus, to hear God speak through his word, to see Jesus as we receive the Lord's Supper. We get this. We get just a little taste of heaven through the presence of his spirit. When I was a boy, my mom would, she's a good baker. She would bake cakes. And I remember kind of sitting there at the counter, kind of on my tiptoes, right? (laughs) Eagerly awaiting those first fruits of the cake. She would busily put all the, the ingredients in the mixer Baking can be a messy process, right? No matter how careful you are with flour, it's, some of it's going to end up. You know, there's flour on the counter, the floor is sugar spilled, a little bit of you know, vegetable oil, eggshells that didn't quite make it on the three-point shot. I'd, I'd eagerly look on. I knew that chocolate cake was going to be amazing when she was finished. And in the meantime, I knew my mom was always going to give me a little taste. When she'd, she'd pour that cake batter into the pan, my mom would turn, look at my little chubby self sitting there, and she'd, I need you to clean up the mixing bowl, right? When I pull that mixer thing out, get a you know, spoon, make sure that every ounce of chocolate is out of that thing. A foretaste of the final product, wasn't it? I was getting to taste just a little bit before the real thing came. This is the presence of Christ in us, a foretaste of of the glory to come, a small taste of the Lord's glory plan found in the Spirit of God living in us. Peter encourages us in this way, 1 Peter 4, 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. We need to hear that right now. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, right? The foretaste that we have, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's what the scriptures teach us. God is with us. So then we we may be thinking, well, what can I do in the present? We can do these things. We can create habits to think upon God's gift of His Spirit, and the promise of our glorification. This is our our application for this point. I want to encourage you, family, to meditate on the gift of the Spirit and the promise of glorification. Think about it. Think about the fact that God has chosen, through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, to reconcile you so that through faith in Him, He can live inside of you. Give him a measure of himself to you. Just think about that. That's amazing. How often do you pause and think of, about the gift of God's spirit, his personal spirit living in you? How often do you think about the promise of glorification? That I'm going to get a new body. That I'm, 
I will, there will be a day where I will never have to wrestle with sin ever again. It's like, what you know, the dead of winter this morning. For me, you want to know what gets me through a Kentucky winter? Thinking about the Gulf Coast and the worn sand between my toes. You know what I'm saying? You got to think about those things. We can do this. We, we, can, we can think about and pray to, to the Spirit to help us as we eagerly await the completing work of the Father's plan. We can pray in this way. Holy Spirit, thank you for filling me and breathing life into me. Thank you for your inspiring work in the scriptures that God speaks to me when I read the word. Spirit, thank you for comforting me in my affliction and, and time of need so that I can pray, God, that you give me a peace that surpasses all understanding. Spirit, please now carry, carry forth my oftentimes incoherent prayers to the Father and work in my heart to align me with his will. Amen. We can pray in that way. Lastly, number three, we patiently wait and work with hope, okay? With a heart of hope in the midst of grief, pain, and suffering. Here's a truth for you this morning. There will be grief, pain, and suffering in life. I'm not going to lie to you this morning and say, well, if you just, you know, sow a $100 seed, then God will multiply that and your bank account's going to be all fixed. That's a lie. I'm not going to lie to you and say, well, if you just pray a little bit harder or you got a little bit more faith, God's going to fix that cancer you have in your body. God didn't promise that. You know what he did promise? He promised that there will be suffering and pain and grief in the life where we walk alongside Jesus. That's the truth. And he gave us instruction on how to live. He said, Hey, be patient and be hopeful. Be patient, patiently wait and work with hope in the midst of grief, pain, and suffering. Verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The the guiding takeaway from this passage is this. In the end, it's hope, right? That's what the promise of glorification gives us. It gives us a measure of hope. And the practice of hope in our patient waiting and working in accordance with God's will. Right? We, don't, we don't just wait and hope inactively, like lazily. You know, if you think back to when you were a kid, we made these construction paper rings, right? We would put the, the rings together and make a chain as we waited for Christmas Day to arrive and we'd, we'd rip off a link each day as Christmas approached, you know, just kind of kicking back on the couch and eating the Christmas candy waiting. Okay, that's not a picture of the Christian life. We're to be working alongside the Lord until the, the Bible says to be ready, to be prepared, to be aware We apply our hope in everyday life. We apply hope in this way. When another brother or sister is in need of help, they need a a glimpse of the glorious day when when they will no longer fear being without food. This occurs right here in in our building when when our food ministry opens the doors and and without question, people can come in and get food and, and be fed. 
It happens in, in far off places like Malawi, like uh, through Akonda Ministries when they, they bring them little work trucks into a village uh, filled with, with corn, filled with flour, filled with food to feed a village that is starving. This is what we are to do. We're to bring hope to people. We're to wait and work with hope in our hearts in the midst of grief, pain, and suffering of the world. We apply hope when we declare this, the saving message of the gospel. Uh, The Bible says that it has been entrusted to us. When we share that with a lost soul, longing for hope in a hopeless situation. We remember hope in, in times of our own grief and despair and think upon the comfort of the Spirit in the midst of those times. We hope for the, for the day when we will once again embrace the loved ones that we've lost through death again in a new heavens and new earth. The saints of, of our church that have gone before us, there's brothers and sisters that I get to see again. I get to see my mom again. I get to see my father-in-law again. That gives me hope. But in the meantime, we practice our faith and hope in a creation where death, decay, and suffering still reigns. So then we must do this. We must surround ourselves with hopeful people to carry us through to the fulfillment of hope and the completion of God's kingdom. And it brings us to our last point of application this morning. Surround yourself with people who will be there for you in the midst of grief, pain, and suffering. We need each other, family. We need to be together. You see, because it's tough to see the forest for the trees when you only got your own two eyes and your personal experience. But if we surround ourselves with a community where hope and faith is placed front and center, we can endure, we can persevere. We can get through it. We need each other in in the midst of of grief and pain and suffering. We need the prayers and encouragement of the church. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. You guys need each other's prayers. You need to know that you have a family that's there for you. And I know the pushback. I know you've been hurt by other people. I know... Someone hasn't responded in in God-honoring ways at times. But I promise you this, the negatives are far outweighed by the positives of having a fellow brother or sister in Christ alongside you in the dark times. I've experienced it myself. I know I've I've shared this a few times over the last few weeks. We got a brother that's on a, a difficult cancer battle and a journey right now. One of our elders, Donnie Carney. And, and he has told me every time I've seen him, I, I just, I don't understand how people get through this without a church family. Last time I went and saw him, man, I walked in that room and it's like a party going on in the hospital. We got Terry in there, Linda. He's got all his kids. Patty's in there hooping it up, right? That's how you get through it. You need your church family with you. We need each other. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the church is called to share that pain and that hope. The church is uh, not to be apart from the pain of the world. Right? When we see pain, we don't run from it. We run to it. 
It is to be in prayer, I love this, at precisely the place where the world is in pain. That's where the church should be. We had a terrible tragedy in our community back in December. If you guys will remember, I mean, we made national news. Shepherdsville, Kentucky made national news. A mother took the lives of her own children. Two young boys murdered at the hands of the one entrusted to to protect and nurture and love them. Our community was rocked, wasn't it? Still is. Shaken, we're grieved. The question came, why? Why'd this happen? How'd this happen? After that, that horrific event, this is what occurred. Pastors from our area, other Christians, we gathered up the road, uh, my friend's church, Little Flock Baptist Church, to be present and in prayer at really precisely the point of pain there. We prayed together. We sang together. We lit candles as a sign of hope and remembrance of these boys. We were able to go. I had these boys' grandparents in front of me weeping. I was able to share a message and walk down there and look them in the eyes and give them a hug and say, you got a whole church just down the road here that's praying for you guys. That's where the church should be. The church should should always be present at the point of suffering and pain. Man, it was uncomfortable. When you're around somebody that loses someone they love in that manner, that guttural cry that comes from deep within that you just can't hold back, that makes me uncomfortable to be around that. But the Lord has called us to be precisely, he said, at that location, present, in prayer, support, showing them that there is great hope. The the crazy thing is, is I, I left there sad and grieved, but encouraged because those grandparents ministered to me. They knew the Lord. They know the Lord. They know that Jesus has them. And they, they looked me in the eyes and encouraged me right back. That's amazing. That's Christian fellowship. That's togetherness and connection. The church should always be present at the point of suffering and pain because of this. We have the only message and assurance of what I would call true hope. We have the gospel and we have the implications of the gospel and what we know as glorification and being able to spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth. It's the reason we need each other. It's, it's the reason we, we press in to be involved in each other's lives. And I, I'm going to give you some very practical ways. We do this intentionally and constantly, right? Consistently to gathering together. It's marked in our Sunday gathering when we come together to worship Jesus. We continue after this gathering to, to come together in, in smaller groups. The Bible says that we should gather all the more as we see the day approaching. And man, it's about 2,000 years after that was written. So don't you think we need to gather more? We need to come together. There's environments here at our church to, to get involved, to be purposeful, to join a Sunday school, show up. If you come to the 11, just come an hour earlier. You got people in these classrooms all around this room. 
that love you, that want to share the word of God with you, that want to pray with you, that want to walk through life together with you. Join a community group. Come to our, uh, we have a fellowship meal on Wednesday nights at 545. Just come and hang out and talk. Get involved with God's people so that when you are confronted with grief and pain and suffering, you don't have to walk the road alone. You'll have brothers and sisters to hold you up to encourage you. I had a brother in here this week whose his wife's been going through uh, some physical issues. He shared with me, he's like, I was out working in my yard and I turned around and came back and there's this package on my doorstep to encourage me. I know that was somebody in our church that did that. Thank you for ministering to him in that way. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want to pause there. In context, the author of Hebrews here is pointing back to chapter 11. If you know Hebrews chapter 11, it's a, it's a whole chapter that talks about the faith of our Old Testament brothers and sisters. It commends them for their faith. That's the context. But I want to say this. When we read this, we can also think, therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses of the other amazing witnesses to the faithfulness of God that we have right here at North Bullet Christian Church. We're surrounded by faithful witnesses of God's faithfulness to them, of being present with you in the midst of grief and pain and suffering. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race, right? Keep going. It is worth it. That is set before us, looking to Jesus, right? Eager longing, right? What does that mean? Stand up on your tiptoes. Take a peek. Look at Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he's a beautiful example. Check this out. Who for the joy, not the misery, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus died for us. Jesus came and lived perfectly for us and endured a cross of shame. He was stripped naked and bare. He was whipped and beaten. He was fixed to a cross and his blood was shed for you. And it says that that was his joy that he would do that for. What love? It says despising the shame. Look where it leads him though. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus right now is seated in glory. That's amazing good news for us. Jesus knows your hurt and your pain. He's experienced death. He's experienced hunger and thirst. He's experienced physical pain while he was fixed to the cross. He cried out. He looked at the grief on his mother's face as she wept at the foot of the cross. Jesus knows what you feel like in the midst of your grief and suffering and despair. And right now, he knows that, and yet right now, he's seated in glory. And next week or the week after, we're going to learn that right now, he's interceding on behalf of us. He loves you. Jesus loves you, and he's walking this road with you. Amen? Amen.